cool. Seriously, in the video, um, from kids to adults, some on the other side of the world, like, like some are this morning, um, some of those photos, literally folks willing to walk on the other side of the street, but I am grateful for people who truly desire to live like you're loved. And I mean it with all my heart when I say it is great joy for me over these many years together to be able to board planes and trains and automobiles and go with the good news of Jesus. I mean, he really has allowed us to do that in so many different ways and places, and we truly together have seen a lot. We've seen a lot. And included in the a lot is brokenness. I mean, yes, we have, um, by the way, you just didn't know you had an Ebenezer. You do, right? And, and surely, as we were singing that song, you were thinking back about moments where, where you remember just the greatness of God, some, some things that he did that you didn't see coming, and, and yet he showed up in a, in a particular way. And yet I'm saying this morning also, in the midst of all those journeys, we've seen a lot of brokenness. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is what happens when seeing so much brokenness leaves you feeling like the brokenness is bigger than the solution. What do you do when you feel like the brokenness, the obstacles are greater than what you know to be the answer? Now, let me just kind of paint this picture for you, all right? Let me, let me show you what I mean. We have seen orphans with our own eyes. We have. And then we, we are told it is estimated that the number of orphans worldwide is 150 million. Million, 150 million orphans in this world. We have also been introduced with the reality that the, the area in which we live, and I'm, I'm saying the Kansas City area, plays a major role in human trafficking. It's not an honor, but where we are located in the country plays a major role in human trafficking. And did you know that it is estimated that worldwide there are some 21 million victims of trafficking? 21 million. Just in the U.S., on any given night, there is well over a half a million people who have no place to lay their head and call home. It's probably up closer to three-quarters of a million by now. And a quarter of those are children. A quarter of them, every single night. No place to call home. Okay, I'm saying, isn't it true that that stuff can start to feel overwhelming at times? It does for me. I can't fix that. I can't fix 150 million orphans. I can't fix 21 million victims of trafficking. I can't fix, you know, however many it is, honestly, who, who have no home. And it feels like every day 
I hear about most of the shootings, the bombings, and the natural disasters that go on in our world in HD, right? We see it in a way like we've never seen it before. And then I'm going to go ahead and throw on top of that the stuff that you deal with personally on any given day where you may encounter someone who just lost somebody they love. It happens pretty often. You encounter a neighbor with a child who has cancer and your heart just breaks. You're going, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You, you, you see an, an, the effect of an automobile accident or, or someone's having trouble in their marriage or it's a case of abuse or a co-worker who has a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Uh, two days ago, I heard about a 16-year-old boy in our area who who decided to take his own life. And I'm saying, when you see that much brokenness, it it really can leave you feeling like there's nothing I can do about all that. To the point that, you know what, I almost just don't want to hear about it anymore. There's so much heartbreak and there's so much suffering, I just don't want to hear it any, any, anymore. And yet, here's the factor. I'm a Jesus follower. And many of you are Jesus followers. And because we are Jesus followers, it leaves us with this feeling that our head in the sand is probably not our option. But again, it's overwhelming. And again, I can't fix it. And so what do you do with that tension? If, if anybody else in the room can relate to any of that, I'm really glad you're here today. And I recognize you had an option today. Maybe I put it this way. You had the best excuse you're ever going to get not to have to be here this morning, right? Unless your parents drug you here, if you're here this morning, you probably want to be here this morning. I'm saying I want to show you what Jesus says we are to do with the tension that I just described. And yes, he has something to say about it. Let me show you what I mean. Luke chapter 10. If you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to read this story. And so it'll take us several minutes to walk through it if you want to follow along. Luke chapter 10. um, I'm going to start with verse 25. And we're pretty much just, I just want you to hear it. I want you to hear this story. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. What do we do when the brokenness we see feels like we really can't fix it? What do we do? Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. All right, now that's a pretty common phrase in the Gospels. People were always trying to trick him. They were always trying to, you know, wedge Jesus in between a rock and a hard place. So here's a guy, expert in the law. He knows the laws. He's testing Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God. Now, this is is the guy who asked the question, all right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, we already heard he's an expert in the law. He knows what the laws were. And so when he quotes this, I mean, he's right on target. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right. We're told in the first line the guy's testing Jesus. And so when he asks this question at the end, it is, it is obvious this is a guy looking for a loophole. All right? He, he's looking for, here's a lawyer looking for a loophole in what he knows to be what the law says. And what I love is that Jesus does what he often does. He doesn't simply answer the question he tells a story. And the story that Jesus tells, to say that it's popular would, would be a crazy understatement today. Let me frame it this way. Almost every state in our country has some form of law named after this story. That's its effect. That's how much this story still affects where we are today. There are laws named after it. Here we go. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the whole idea of robbers on this road was very common. When Jesus tells this story, there was not a person in that crowd who could not relate to such a possibility. I mean, they would have known the terrain. They, they knew what he was talking about. They took the man's clothes, Jesus says, which simply just says they took what was valuable. Clothes in that day were, were incredibly valuable. They took everything that he has and they beat him. And Jesus is careful to point out, not just, not just did somebody take a swing at this guy, but they beat him to the point that death is in the conversation. They beat him half to death. This guy is a mess. He's a mess. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, if we could pause right there, I know the rest of the verse is there, and we're going to get to it, but a priest happened to be going down the same road. What are the odds? What are the odds to be in such a circumstance? People take your stuff and beat you up, and it looks like you're going to die, and here comes a holy man. Thank God I'm rescued. <laughs> And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In other words, the priest played the angle. You know what I'm talking about? Walking along, man who's hurt, play the angle. Other side of the road. Wow. Verse 32. So too, a Levite. Like, I have no idea what a Levite is. Well, the best way I would describe this to you is if, if the priest 
is kind of like the preacher, then a Levite would kind of like be the staff member at the church, all right? So the priests the priest pass by, but, but surely the, the people who are connected to the things of God in such a way, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side, played the angle. And I think, just because I imagine this stuff and you know it, this is the point where maybe Jesus smiles. And he smiles because he knows what he's about to say. Verse 33. But a Samaritan. Now, we've already had this conversation in this series because we talked about the woman at the well. Remember that? She was a Samaritan. And we talked about how a Jewish man like Jesus would never in any way approach a Samaritan woman like that, much less ask her for a drink. I mean, there was just all kinds of just intense uh, um, tension that it would exist there. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. It means his heart is moved. That's literally what, what, what the language would render. His heart is moved. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, I'm going to slow you down just enough because I want to walk back through what this guy just did. Okay? Sees the man, a mess on the road. What does he do? Well, he bandages his wounds. All right? So he stops long enough. Anybody understand that a guy who's beat half to death, um, he has no clothes. This is ugly. This is messy. And with his hands, he bandages the man. You understand that wasn't clean? He bandages the man. Then he gave him transportation, right? Puts him on his donkey. Hey, it's the best he had at the point, all right? Puts him on his donkey. And then he found lodging for the man. He finds an inn. Gets him to a place where he can, where he can spend the night. And I want to make sure that you understand that the scripture says that, that he cared for the man and then he found care for the man. I love that. I think we often read this story and because it's kind of like how we would do it. We see the man. It's like, oh, so we bandage him up after we put our gloves on, right? We got, plat- we got the gloves that we put on and then we bandage him up and then, and then put him in the back of the truck and then we, go find, we, we stop at the next place where he can find some rest. No, it says he stayed with him. And he cared for him first. And then he finds somebody who will continue to care for him. He even gave the money to cover the cost of what he thought it would be. But then don't miss the picture. He's coming back. 
He's going to come back to make sure that what he's left to care for the man would be enough. And if it's not enough, he's willing to spend more. He will reimburse the one who is doing the caretaking. Jesus, I think, turns to the attorney. And in verse 36, he asks the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? Now, come on. Everybody in that crowd that day knew the answer, just like everybody in this crowd knows the answer. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him and us, go and do likewise. Now look, there is in you, and there is in me, there is in everybody, something that knows we should do the same. We do. We know that that this is how we should respond. Even to people who, who, their mess is because they created it. Right? Not because somebody else beat them up on the side of the road. Not because they were minding their own business and out of nowhere somebody did some stuff and messed up their life. Even people who we would say they made their own choice. What they're laying in is because they chose that. And we still know there's something we should do, but the problem is I don't think I can solve all that, and it leaves me feeling overwhelmed. And we just got to make sure we understand. Jesus says there's one thing you can't do, and what you cannot do is say, if I can't fix all this, I'm going to do nothing. If I can't solve all this, then I think I'm just, I'm just, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing. If there's not enough money in the world to fix this problem, then I'm not going to do anything. If, there's so, if this is so much bigger than what I have to offer, then I'm just going to do nothing. Jesus said, no, you cannot just shut it out. Jesus clearly says in this story, I am responsible for the one in my path. And so are you. I am responsible for the one in my path. Even if I don't think I can fix it all. Even if I don't think I can solve even the one. I'm responsible for the one in my path. And I want, I want you to recognize this is the path for those of us who choose to live like we're loved. This is the path. Now, real quick, um, maybe you're just joining us for the first time today. I'm glad you're here. We're kind of in the, in the middle of this um, study, in this search of saying, you know what? The Bible teaches us clearly that we are a people loved by Jesus, loved perfectly. 
He doesn't love like the rest of the world loves in terms of, of condition, if we can perform at such a level. No, he, he loves us. And so if such is true, then what does it mean to live like people who are loved? And so real quick, here, here's what we've been through. We started with, began with what? Prayer. Begin with prayer. God, change me. God, show me. God, use me. I want to live like I'm loved. God, I'm dependent on you. Second, listen to needs. Listen to the needs of other people where I can start to see them like God sees them. Third, this was my favorite, eat, right? That was last week. Eat with other people. Why eat with other people? It's because connection is the key. And so to sit around the table and to have a meal, it's, it's that opportunity for connection. And then today, today it's all about the serve. Serve others. How do you live like you're loved? You serve others. And we're saying, let's don't ignore what Jesus says on this deal. And this is the phrase that I hope sort of settles in on you today and will not let you escape. Move toward the mess. Isn't that exciting? Move toward the mess. That's not how most people live. Most people if they come upon a mess that's not their own, only stick around long enough to get some details before they play the angle so that they can watch it from a distance. Jesus said, move toward the mess. Now come on, messes are not shocking to us. We all understand mess. You either were a mess, or you are a mess, or you are one dumb decision away from mess. Right? It, it, I mean, it happens all the time, any given moment. We know it. You either were, you are, or one dumb decision away from that. It's not like messes are contagious. We already got the disease. We all are familiar with the mess. It's just the way we often play it is I'm most concerned about my mess, and if somebody else has a mess, again, I just want the details, but I'd rather watch it from a distance. And I want to encourage you with a little something this morning, moving toward the mess. If you're following Jesus and you move toward the mess, and I'm going to say when you follow Jesus, and you move toward the mess, because that is constantly what he did, was to move toward the mess. Your life will not be boring. Every once in a while, you get this phrase of people talking about a boring Christian life. Do you understand that's impossible? That is impossible. If your life is boring, I guarantee you, you're not following Jesus. Because when you start to follow Jesus, he will move straight toward the mess. And so this morning, I want to give you some help. And the help's not my, from my idea. When I read the story, I want to give you some help. 
And so here's where I start. First, I encourage you today, as you move toward the mess, go compassion over convenience. Go compassion over convenience. The plot twist in this story that Jesus tells is not when he says, but a Samaritan. That's not the plot twist. Because everybody knew Samaritans traveled that road. That wasn't crazy. But the plot twist to the story is when Jesus said, but a Samaritan had a heart that was moved. But a Samaritan acted with compassion. That was the twist of the story. It was the one who moved with compassion, the one who took pity on the man. Now, come on, you, you know what I'm talking about this morning in that probably every single one of us in this room immediately can think of somebody either in our family, in our classroom, in our neighborhood, we all can think of someone that when you see their circumstance, it makes your heart break. Your heart breaks. There is a part of you that just aches because of the pain that they are in. And what you very much want to do is play the angle. Because you know, if you offer to help, what are they going to do? They're going to take it. Because you know they hurt to such a degree. They are in such a place of need that if you offer to help, they are going to take it. And what is going to be required to clean this thing up is going to be so much time and so much effort, probably more than you want to give and maybe more than you can give. And so the tension is, I see it, I'm overwhelmed. Which way do I move? Do I play the angle or do I move toward the mess? And I'm just, let's just go ahead and clear the floor today in the sense of moving toward the mess I don't think is ever going to be convenient for you. Ever. Moving toward the mess is never going to be convenient. There was a study done um, that I read about recently that I thought was really, really interesting. It was a study done out of Princeton. And the study was conducted by the psychology department, it was, it was a, a really on seminary students. And so what they did is they wanted to test and see if these seminary students would stop and help a man whom they had planted on the campus who appeared to be injured. All right? It was a setup. So the guy's not really injured, but he looks like he's injured, and they're planting him on the campus, and they want to see who's going to help him. Well, what they wanted to measure was really three variables. Variable number one 
was about an entrance survey that was given to those seminary students where the question was, are you in this thing to serve God or to serve people? Right? In other words, commandment number one or commandment number two? Why are, why are you in this thing? Is this to help people or to serve God? So they took the survey, saw where everybody landed. The second variable was a class assignment. Half the class was given an assignment to prepare a presentation on the role of the clergy in the church. Don't you wish you had that one, all right? So prep, prep an assignment, what's the role of the clergy in the church? Or the other half of the class was given an assignment to prepare a presentation on the story of the Good Samaritan. Then variable number three. It was simply some information. Half the class was told that their presentations were due that day. And the other half of the class was told that their presentations would be later on. The day came. The man was planted. And guess what they found? Variable number one. Are you in this to serve God or to serve people made absolutely no difference in who chose to stop and didn't stop. It showed no difference. Variable number two, a presentation on the role of clergy or a presentation on the Good Samaritan showed absolutely no difference in who stopped and who didn't stop. The only variable that made a difference was the third one. One out of ten who thought that their presentation was that day stopped. One out of ten. But those who thought their presentation was later on, two-thirds of that group stopped and helped the man. Isn't that wild? I, I think that is deadly accurate to what we see happen in our culture, even in our cult, church culture, in most cases, our time is the most powerful evaluation for what matters most to us. Busy in our culture is a valued quality. When people ask you how you're doing, you know you are trained to say busy. Because not busy means lazy. In our culture, that's what it means. So when people ask you how you're doing, you make sure you build your case that you really are busy. You really are occupying as much time as you possibly can. In fact, you're jamming it all in. It is seen as a valued quality. Busy's okay. Really, it is. But I'm reminding you today that in God's kingdom, busy is wrong when we don't have time for messy people. It's wrong. Some of you are so organized, you really are. Some of you, and it's a great quality, 
I mean, there's a bunch of people in this room who wish they had what you had and an ability to plan. Some of you program the program. You can do it. The priest and the Levi, I believe in this story, were probably busy people. There really were. There was religious stuff that they had to do. Some of it was stuff that, that, that had been lined out. I mean, in, in the whole church picture, there was, there was stuff, religious stuff they had to do. But I'm saying this is the central problem for many of us. We really are too busy to follow Jesus in the ordinary. And so it's easier if we pick and choose when we follow him by signing up for stuff at church. And if there's a team going to do such and such, then we sign up for that event and we know that that way we are, we are following Jesus in those two or three hours that we know we have to give that week. I, I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself when a messy circumstance, which means person, appears in your path, does that typically feel like an inconvenience or is it perceived as an opportunity? And the answer to that question will tell you where you are on this road. I'm encouraging you to go compassion over convenience because that's what Jesus models in this story, which means you have to embrace the disruptions. You got to embrace the disruptions. Give power to the disruptions because opportunity almost always shows up this way. Always. Second, I'm encouraging you to go deep instead of wide. For those of you who feel like there's so much stuff going on around you, there are so many needs, there are so many hurts, it feels so overwhelming, I don't know how to fix all this. Well, you know what Jesus shows us in the story? Go deep instead of wide. Now, the tendency is to go wide instead of going deep because wider is easier. It really is. Wider means I can write a check once in a while. Wider means I can pray once in a while, but I can still feel good about myself. The problem is most of the time, there's not a lot of difference that's really being made in any one person's life. In other words, let me put it this way. Go deep. If you have a heart for students, and maybe it's because when you were a student, your life was so broken and messy at that point that your heart goes out to students, then find a group of students and go deep. Which means maybe you need to be trained in how to help lead a life team. Maybe you need to be involved in some student Bible study. Maybe you need to get connected to an after-school program where you can help some students who may be struggling with some homework or whatever, but it's a, it's a way to, to connect to heart. Go to their games. Go to their performances. Go deep instead of wide. Comfort zones are great for recuperation. If you got a comfort zone, don't forget where it is, right? Because comfort zones can be important for recuperation. 
but they are not the place you want to live because nothing much ever happens in the comfort zone. And I'm telling you, comfort zones get boring really fast. They do. I challenge you to realize this morning you will never find the best version of you in a comfort zone. The best version of you exists when you move toward the mess. That's when the best you will show up. In the comfort zone, you won't find the best version of you. Jesus said move toward the mess because in the mess, in the chaos, in the uncomfortable, that's where we tend to trust him the most. That's where he tends to shape us the most. If you choose comfort, then boring is inevitable. It is going to follow, I'm telling you, and following Jesus is never boring. This is the way I'm going to sum it up this morning. This is the way I would put those things together. Act this way. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That's what Jesus says. Do for the one in your path that you wish you could do for everyone. It's like there are so many people who are beaten up in the world. So many people whose clothes have been taken. So many people who are left half dead. There's so many hurts in the world. It's so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. Jesus said, here's what you do. As soon as you cross paths with the one, you treat the one like you wish you could treat the whole world. And when you do that, you won't be bored. And you will see the Jesus that you follow work in a way I would say most likely you have never seen him work before. Do for one. One neighbor, one friend, one coworker. Yeah, I know. You wish you could solve it all. I know. You hear so many stories. But the question is, who has been put in your path? And it is likely that right now you already know who it is. Right now, some of you are like, I know who it is. You're not letting on to it because you don't want to have to tell anybody who else it is. And you still haven't decided if you're going to take the angle or you're going to get messy. But already, you, you know who it is. And if you don't know who it is, you might can figure out who it is because it's the one where you want to take the angle. That might be the one. And I'm saying, come on, just go after it. This is a divine appointment. How do you know? Because they're in your path. And Jesus said, the one in your path, you need to push through the lie that your time is better spent somewhere else. And you need to push through the lie that you should protect against failure. Sometimes that is what we fear more than anything else. Failure is angling away. That's failure. Sometimes we don't do what we know we're supposed to do because we're so afraid that we can't fix this thing and that everybody's going to look at us and go, you can't fix the thing. So our pride trumps the hurt. And we protect ourselves in the midst of somebody who hurts. Just go after it. I'm saying go after it. And we, we need to be a culture who begins to evaluate faithfulness is not whether or not I can fix all this. Faithfulness is whether or not I'm following Jesus into the mess. 
Has anybody figured out yet that sometimes you can follow Jesus into the mess and the person that you are trying to help will refuse to be helped? That is not your evaluation of success or not. So stop evaluating that way. Stop evaluating everything by, if I enter it, I have to pull this off. Or if if it looks like I can't do this right, then everybody's going to know. Stop. Faithfulness is just following him into what he tells you to follow him into. Sometimes people are going to heal. And sometimes they may not. Is that failure? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're following Jesus, and you're loving like he calls you to love. I don't know why, man. My heart just broke again this week hearing about that 16-year-old kid who it's somehow in his mind, obviously, he's thinking there is no hope. And I look all around us, and it's like, man, I wish I could fix all that, and I can't. But there's a bunch of us in this room that got some 16-year-old kids in our path. In our path. And some of them are messy. So what do we do? Follow Jesus. What's he going to do? He's going to love. We're getting really close to to through with the the completion of the, the building in Harrisonville, you know, that we're wanting to take some steps for for our students and then hopefully leads to some more. And I know I hear, I hear, you hear people sometimes, it's like, you know, do you think that's really going to fix it all? No, probably not. But we're not called to fix it all yet. We're just called to do what we're supposed to do to what's in our path. And there's a lot in our path. Jeff, I'm a mess, man. How am I supposed to help messy people? You're qualified. Because did you know that God addresses the messes through messy people? That's how he does it. There's not a single one of us who don't understand the mess. you got to get in their corner until they run you off. And you love them like Jesus says love. Would it be okay with you if we wrap up today? We're going to sing here in a minute. We're going to celebrate the truth of a God who goes before us. He's in the mess before you are. But can we, like, get to that with just together bowing before our God and saying, God, would you help us do this? Um, If you would, I'm going to ask you to join me. We're just going to hang out for a few minutes. Um, You could pray right where you are. If if you're comfortable kneeling, I'm encouraging you to know you got the freedom to to kneel where you are. If you want to sit in your seat, you sit in your seat. Um, If you need to move, you can move. But I'm just going to ask you um, to bow with me for a few minutes, and I'm just going to walk you through some thoughts for you to bring before God that we ask him this morning to help us to be a people who truly live like we're loved. Okay? Let's bow together. Let's bow together. I encourage you to just start by confessing to God if today he's brought to light that you've been playing the angle. And so far, you've been walking past that person that you know is in your path. Go ahead and confess it to him in this moment, because he really does hear. Or, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know anyone who hurts, 
what does that mean? Be honest about what that means. Are you following Jesus? Then go ahead and ask him, God, help me to step into the mess as I follow you. Ask him to help you. Ask him to give you compassion. Ask him to help you to embrace the disruption. Ask him to help you to realize that your time belongs to him. And that the greatest joy will be using it the way he leads you to use it. Ask him to help you to go deep instead of wide. To truly take those next steps that you know he's telling you to take. And then ask him to help you to stop evaluating success simply by the outcome. And that you will start evaluating success by obedience to him. God, this is our prayer. I thank you for a most remarkable story today. One that even our culture still latches on to. A good Samaritan. But God, I'm asking that that story in this season will latch on to our hearts. That we, the people who say we know we are loved by you, may we choose compassion over convenience. May we choose deep over wide. And may we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Thank you, God, for loving us this way. May we be a people who love. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.